what a privilege to be able to uh, share with you this evening. We live in challenging days, that's for sure. I remember last June traveling through those very cities in Japan that were hit by this tsunami. I hope we're all not getting tired of praying for that crisis, which continues. And God's people are a small minority in Japan, but they're responding to uh, the challenge. And I had an email from the director of OM in Japan, and usually uh, they do it by linking with local church that had been hit and destroyed in that uh, area. It's always an encouragement for me to be at meetings when people come from different churches. Uh, When it comes to major mission events, not many cities are able to do it for more than like one meeting. But the Canadians are uh, number one on planet Earth for mission events. Vancouver, Canada, 25 years mission fest, 100 churches cooperate. So they pretty well can bring any speaker they want and they get about 25, 30,000. A very unchurched city, Vancouver. Nothing, nothing like, uh, say, Seattle to the south. And I've just come back from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. A lot of British people there, at least their grandparents. And again, the church has cooperated for this missions event, much smaller place, I guess maybe a thousand involved. So uh, this is exciting that we have people representing different churches. And one of the things we're trying to emphasize this evening is that uh, though tremendous things have been done, especially in the last 200 years, God was working through all these 2,000 years, but the explosion of global missions in the past 200 years, the harvest, the sheer number of new churches, now 30,000 denominations, some of them probably uh, not so well anymore, but many of them in different pieces, some following the Bible, others going their own way. And yet, despite all that, um, we have to condense everything in a meeting like this. There are huge, huge challenges yet facing us in missions because of population explosion, because of restricted access countries. One of my number one countries is the land of Turkey. Um, Turkey right here, 70 million people. More believers in Ipswich than all of Turkey. 70 million. 3,000 believers in the whole nation from, you know, the majority background. There may be other American and British Christians there right now as tourists. And there are workers there now. Turkey is one of the first nations God put on my heart 50 years ago. As uh, I was studying in university, I went to Mexico and learned Spanish, and that so impacted me. I left university, went to Moody Bible Institute, where I could meet so many amazing missionary leaders. They just came to our missions conferences, Lionel Gurney of the Red Sea Mission Team, and uh, characters like Alan Redpath from England there preaching at Moody Church. I was so privileged to receive so much, even as a young Christian. And it's there that I got this burden for Muslim countries and communist countries and closed countries and was very reluctant to start anything new. And OM's real roots and explosion really took place here in Europe, mainly in the UK. But the roots go back 
to those days in Chicago and going back every summer and every Christmas, thousands of kilometers down to Mexico. And as we look across what some people call the 1040 window, 10 degrees north of the equator to 40 degrees north, as we look across this area, 90% of all the unevangelized people are in that area uh, because it includes also India where my wife and I had the challenge of living for a number of years. Now OM's largest work with way over 2,000 workers. And so today, yes, British missionaries are needed as much as ever before. Not in the same countries. Not always the same style. But please reject this idea that basically the church is so big in places like Korea, that would be only South Korea, or Brazil, or Kenya, and we hear about how nationals can often do the work, they know the language, they, do, they don't need so much money. That's only true in a few countries, and so many nations. There are 40 nations, I have a list, 40 nations that would have less than 1% of what we have where I live. I live in Bromley, borough of Bromley, Kent, and there a long time, like 45 or more years, lived in the north for a while. And uh, there's 40 nations who would have less than 1%. You know, living there, I feel this, this is a needy place, probably, Ken. It's part of London. I mean, we got plenty to do there. But you see, it's not an either or. You know, are we going to emphasize overseas these 40 nations that have next to nothing? Or are we going to emphasize our own city? Don't get in the either or. The Holy Spirit will lead different people in different ways. We can all emotionally, prayerfully, in one way or the other, we can all be involved in both. That doesn't take a lot. A little bit of faith, vision. And then the Holy Spirit will lead where you're to put, uh, you know, a larger chunk of your time. But I'd ask you to please continue. As we looked at Matthew 9 this morning, the Lord of the harvest would send forth workers, especially to the more unreached places. I often go around t- talking about my top 10, the most, the 10 most impossible, difficult nations in the world. And especially, there's a number of nations competing to get in. You really have to be bad to get in this top 10. Number one is North Korea. Number two is Tibet, uh, north of Nepal, where I used to live. Not even a fraction of the witness we have in Nepal. Number three is Afghanistan, only a A few dozen believers, and they're hard to find. Some say there may be a few hundred. Number four is Iran. Number five is Iraq. Number six is Saudi Arabia, with almost no known believers. We hear of some secret believers. Number, is that six? Number seven is Yemen, partly because of Socotra. Yemen's in the news a lot these days. Socotra has not one single believer. Number eight is Libya. In an amazing way, our new ship, Lagasop, was just in Libya. Massive response just before the war. We're still mystified at the way that happened. And then we went to Egypt. So we were there just before those uh, complexities hit. Number eight is Tunisia. Or did I just call Libya number eight? Uh, Number nine is Tunisia. Number ten is Turkmenistan. All of Central Asia is a challenge. They're all in my top 40 um, but Turkmenistan here, this side of the Caspian, that, that is just way beyond the other Central Asian. Hyper-restricted access, almost no workers, 
very few believers. There is a Baptist church there that have gone through a lot of uh, suffering. So let's, yes, celebrate all that God has done. There are whole books about it. Patrick Johnson's, I think he lives up this way now, a little further north. The man who gave us Operation World. And uh, we have the new edition. I wonder if you could get me one of those. I thought I left it up here, but it's gone. But Oh, here it is. I got it. Thank you. Operation World. The old edition was done by Patrick Johnston. This is a new edition. Five years of research by WEC uh, missionaries, including Jason, um, uh, Jason Mandrick from Canada. And this is considered probably the greatest missions book of all times. Two million copies of the early editions. It's worth its weight in platinum. And it's the only book on our table that's not available just for any donation. We've just bought these. Excuse me, they're a little expensive. And I think they're giving him at a special price of like 12 uh, pound. And you're going to want to get one of those. I think they even accept a check. And when you read through that or his other book, you realize what God's done. Even some of you look a little older, not quite as old as me, but you look a little older just in your lifetime. What God has done. So there's a lot to celebrate. But it's not a time to sit back and say, hey, man, we more or less almost finished this task. No. We're faced with huge challenges. And we, the enemy's always sowing misinformation. I heard a top leader years ago. It's funny. He's left Britain now. Um, they've gone to America. And I think he changed his mind. He's a dear person. But I remember him saying, a lot of people listen, that we really can't think about sending missionaries anymore. The needs are just so great here. I can understand how people say that. We're subjective, aren't we? We're emotional. I walk through the streets of the East End, which I've done probably hundred, you know, a hundred times, and I feel I don't need to leave the East End. And praise God for people called to all different parts of Britain. We have way more to celebrate in terms of what God's doing in this country than most people realize. Just because we're not taking over the country or there's some legislation that's very uh, sort of hurtful for us Christians doesn't mean like God is sleeping and God is working and we're still seeing missionaries go out and we're seeing huge amounts of money go out from Great Britain to feed the poor and the hungry and the starving. And we have in this nation, I hope to become a citizen this year after 48 years trying to learn a language, we have a tremendous heritage and we want to continue to be a cutting-edge nation for global missions. Turn with me now in your Bibles to Psalm 68. Keep in mind the books on the end of the table, they're free. We want everyone tonight to take two free books. Don't even think about paying for them or giving a donation. These are books, part of our ministry is to get them out. It's costing us a fortune on postage to send these out free. So every book you take, you save us postage. So take at least two. We don't really have enough for this large crowd. The big piles on the end of the table. It includes my own books. We've never sold very well anyway, though, praise the Lord, finally hit one million mark. And you'll find uh, some amazing uh, books there that'll be a blessing to you. There's also this uh, book about the Dalit women of India done by Michael Lawson. Uh, Amazing. A vicar turned filmmaker. And uh, there's a couple of DVDs there. Another one called uh, Silent No More, Testimonies of Women that have gone through uh, abortion. So God bless you. Read with me Psalm 67. 
May God be merciful and bless us. Nothing wrong with asking God to bless us tonight. Pray that in your heart. May his face smile with favor on us. Wow, God loves us. God loves us. Even when we fail, I have what's called a stupidity streak. I've had it since my childhood. And I sometimes do something really stupid. And to think when I've just done something stupid and sometimes even sinful, like God still loves me. That's the thing that's motivated me pretty well every single day since my conversion. Did you ever see that email that Tony Campolo sent around about the thunderstorm? How many have seen that email? It went pretty wide. And uh, this family's in this thunderstorm, and the lightning is really bad. The thunder is loud. Even the adults sitting in the living room are really a little nervous about this. They suddenly realize their little daughter is up alone in her bedroom. They run upstairs. They open the door. And then the little seven-year-old, she's looking out the window. And there's another flash of lightning. They said, are you okay? She said, I'm fine. I think God is taking my picture. I never thought of that. God's favor. God's love. And we may laugh, but a lot of the people have come on OM, 170,000 young people. In our counseling ministry, we discovered they didn't in depth really believe God loved them as an individual. And so in Operation Mobilization, we often go back to the basics. God loves you. For God so loved the world, each individual. He gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting life. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's radical commitment. Second, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Seems to indicate that if you don't have some kind of basic right value of yourself, that you're going to have difficulty maybe loving your neighbor. And one of the reasons I'm still here, a person that in my young Christian days, went naturally toward extremes, super spirituality and hyper-discipleship, is because somehow I realized the biblical road is a road of dynamic tension, a road that it looks like two verses are contradicting each other, like except you forsake all that you have, you can't be my disciple, compared to God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It's paradox. It's mystery. I wrote a little book about that. And I was just looking at it because I haven't looked at it in ages. And uh, I thought, wow, I think I need to reread this and see what I've said. Revolution of love, a call for biblical balance, being wide-hearted. Wow, we'll never cease to learn and grow. Verse 2, may your ways be known throughout the earth. Wow, this sounds like a missionary psalm, doesn't it? You're saving power among people everywhere. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Let the whole world sing. We need to be conscious about this world. We need to pray for the world. This is why I wear this global jacket. This is an old one. It's wearing out. It's time for me to give it away. I've, been, I've gone through 250 or more of these jackets. Sometimes we auction them. One time when we were raising money for our new ship, a dear little lady had sold a house and her husband went to heaven and she bid 50,000 pounds for my old global jacket. That was a happy day in my life, I can assure you. Now, I'm not saying you have to wear a global jacket, 
But we need to be aware of the nations. We need to pray for the nations. And that's why also I bring this globe. We can, because the nations are on the heart of God. This is not a missionary thing. It's not a George Verwer thing. It's the God thing. And if it wasn't in this book, I would not be talking about it. Because this is what I based my whole life on since my conversion. May the nations praise you, O God. Yes, may all the nations praise you. Then the earth will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will richly bless us. Yes, God will bless us, and all the people all over the world will fear him. Have you been aware of that great psalm? I try to read the psalms every day. try to read the Proverbs every day. I was selling Bibles and Christian books as a baby Christian shortly after my conversion to earn some money to go to Mexico when this thing sort of started. And I met this amazing lady, a really uh, sort of extrovert, outgoing, talkative type. I don't know. You don't have so many of those in England. But in New Jersey, we got uh, where I'm from, we have lots of them. And she bought a lot of books, which really made me happy, gave me a lot of money. And she looked at me and she said... Uh, I think she could discern that I was big on zeal and weak on wisdom. And so she looked at me and she said, young man, do you study the book of Proverbs? I don't think I'd found that book yet as a young Christian. Then she said, a proverb a day will keep the devil away. She opened her Bible and showed me 31 Proverbs, one for every day of the month. Ever since that lady came into my life like a tornado out of heaven, I've been reading the Proverbs almost every day. I've even started to write my own now because uh, I've read these so much and they won't get in the Bible. And I'll only just share one of my Proverbs because somehow people get helped by it. Where two or three of the Lord's people are gathered together, sooner or later there will be a mess. (laughs) Not too positive, was it? But you know, our God knows how to unmess the mess. And our God knows how to work even when there are messy situations. Imagine the history of OM, 54 years, 170,000 people involved, four different ships, only one right now. One of them, praise God, after 17 years of ministry, landed on a rock. That was not the happiest day in my life. But when the news came that no life was lost, I burst out with tears of joy. God's mercy, and that led us to Lagos too. And eventually to this new ship, bigger than all three of the other ones put together, Lagos Hope. And if any of you young people are looking for a stretch training program that will take you to 15 or 20 nations in two years, you need to check out our website and sign up for one of the greatest character building programs in the world. It's not just for people planning on the mission field. We have graduates of OM in almost every single walk of life. And we're, we don't believe we're just called to evangelize the world. We are called to build his kingdom everywhere. And we shared about that this morning. How a person committed to business, a professional person, that is a ministry. Just as I also have a ministry. No time to go into that now. But turn with me now to Isaiah chapter 6. Get a little water here, thank you. Isaiah chapter 6, if you could turn there in your Bibles. Now, I have to confess, this is the chapter I preach on the most. Uh, They just come from Korea uh, two weeks ago. 
sharing on this. And at the end of the meeting, I asked people to pray that prayer, to stand up and pray the prayer, here am I, send me. And I've had the joy of seeing tens of thousands. Took 330 meetings last year, so I have an advantage. Stand up and pray that prayer. Why do I do that? Because I believe every Christian needs to be available to God. It may only mean across the street. One man who stood up and prayed, here am I, send me, acknowledged that after that the Lord spoke to him and said, I've already sent you. I put you in that church. I put you in that job. You need to bloom where you are. You need to stop dreaming about what you may do and bloom where you are. And then maybe I'll lead you later on. So if I do give that kind of invitation tonight, it's not for you to sign up for OM or go be a missionary. That that may happen as the Holy Spirit working even through the leaders of your church lead and guide and confirm. But it's my heart cry that every Christian will be available. It's really a matter of commitment. It's really a matter of the lordship of Christ. You know, the British church has been one of the strongest churches, especially through the Keswick Convention, but also other great meetings that have taken place around the nation over the years on emphasizing the lordship of Christ. I find in America, some churches have never had a message on the lordship of Christ. They just speak of Jesus as a savior and you get saved and you get born again. I believe, of course, salvation is 100% by grace. But I believe when Jesus comes in, he has to come in as Lord and Savior. And so you learn about his lordship. That's a lifetime. I'm still learning. Now I'm learning the lordship of Christ for grandfathers. Have you seen that book yet? I mean, it was amazing enough for me to ever, you know, ever have my wife and I, three children and try to rear them. And now we've got these grandchildren. And uh, it's a challenge. How many of you have grandchildren? Raise your hand. You've got grandchildren. Yeah, Tony Campalo says that's God's prize to you for not killing your own kids. I don't think you'll find that in the Bible. So I'm learning what is it. I've stepped out of all leadership. Imagine the change that was. 46 years I led this thing. And six, seven years ago, I stepped out of all leadership. I chose. There was no pressure. But I chose to have closure with leadership except for my own little special project ministry, which is just a few of us over in Forest Hill, Southeast London, who raise money, give away money, and take meetings. I'm not even sort of chief advisor. People don't call me the old founder. Find out what I think. Let them think for themselves. And you don't want to know a miracle? I've never had a single regret or hiccup in this transition. And Peter Maiden, who leads OM, we've yet to have our first disagreement since this enormous change seven years ago that took place right there in that great Keswick tent. God's grace, God's grace, God's mercy. And I just thank the Lord for the privilege of still being able to proclaim his word, his swamp with all kinds of invitations. The word, a lot of people would never let me go to their church because I was so blunt and offensive. And, uh, now that the word is out, George Verwer's mellowing. He's older. He's calmed down. Churches are inviting me where I've never been before. You know, cities have let me, let me come where I haven't been before, like uh, Ipswich. But uh, hallelujah. Not that I wasn't invited before. You didn't probably know I even existed. But here, 
in Isaiah chapter 6, we have this passage. Let's read it. It was in the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just try to picture this. Attending him were mighty seraphim. Each had six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew and they called out one to the other. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Isn't that beautiful? Their voices shook the temple to its foundation. The entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, and this is Isaiah's response to the greatness of God, the glory of God, the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God. This was his response. In the old translation, which I, le- I like more than this one, it says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. I can relate to that. All my m- life I've struggled with my tendency to sometimes say something that was unkind or, or harsh or worse. A man of unclean lips. What does it say in this translation, the new living? Then I said, it's all over. <laughs> Whoa, I'm doomed. I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. I live among people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, I mingle with a lot of people, all kinds of ordinary people in the streets. I travel public transport. I have a Freedom of London pass. And so I'm with ordinary people. And it is amazing, the vile language of so many in this nation. And little kids at seven or eight, my own grandchildren, coming out with unbelievable obscenities. And yet, Isaiah sort of identifies himself with the nation. I'm among a people of unclean lips. And God spoke to me about not sort of distancing myself from these people who speak so many swear words and sex words and curse words, but somehow reach out to them, somehow try to listen. Not easy, especially if you have an American accent. And I've tried to fake a British accent, and really, it doesn't work. It's better just to, I got a daughter who speaks perfect English, of course, born in, uh, born in Lancashire. I have a son born in London, and uh, you'd be thrilled listening to them, but we'll trust you'll be able to endure my accent. But let's read this a little further. He responds. We, we see in his response repentance. We see brokenness. We see integrity. We see reality. And then we see God meeting him. Verse Six. Look at that. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it. And he said, see, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed. Your sins are forgiven. How do we get a verse like that in the middle of Isaiah? That sounds like something out of Romans. I'm going to let your pastor expound and explain that in the weeks to come. I'll just take it as some kind of a foreshadow of what the Lord Jesus was to do on the cross. Because he experiences this, this renewal, this forgiveness, this cleansing, he then is ready to hear God's voice. That's why we can't separate. We can't separate ministry, dynamic ministry in the local church. We can't separate things like the Keswick Convention 
or some of these great other preaching, teaching events, even smaller events that take place locally. We can't separate that from global missions. It comes together. And this is one of many passages that shows this. Because after the brokenness and then the repentance, then with the cleansing and the forgiveness, then what do we read? Verse 8. Then I heard the Lord asking. We want to hear the Lord tonight. I hope you haven't come just to hear me, but if you have, we're all human. Don't be too hard on yourself. But we want to hear the Lord. And it may be that the Lord is speaking to some of us in the same way he spoke to Isaiah. Look at those words. I heard the Lord asking, whom shall I send as a messenger to this people? Now, there was a specific job to be done. It's not the same as ours. And so we can't just yank this out of context and and try to twist it just to do something we want. And I think sometimes we missionaries have put our own interpretation on this just to somehow get people to go to the mission field. The problem is it's often worked. Thousands have gone to the field over the years because of this one passage. But now through looking at verses like the words of Jesus in the Gospels, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Looking at Romans, how will they preach? How will they go unless they are sent? Looking at Acts 13, they lays hands on them and they sent them away. I see this as something more basic, more generic. And so my message is for every Christian to respond and to pray the prayer that Isaiah prayed after he had this experience. Here am I, send me. I was in a church not long ago and we had a song. We sang a song together, Here Am I, Send Me. I think we have it also in Spanish. That's the only other language I know. Let me ask this as I bring this to a close. How many of you have already prayed that prayer? Some of you have been around a while. You've been to mission meetings. You've heard Isaiah 6 expounded. How many have already prayed that prayer? Just raise your hand. You just think back. We've got about one-third of the audience. Praise the Lord. When did you last think about that and evaluate how you're doing? Have you let the Lord send you? Have you been totally committed to him and the guidance of his Holy Spirit day by day? I trust you have. But I'm asking everyone else tonight to pray this prayer. Again, I want to explain. It's not geography. That's something the Lord has to do in your heart separately. It's reality. It's, it's saying the Lord, it's, it's time to me to pray this prayer, to let you know I am available. I'll go where you want me to go. Maybe after you pray that, you will push some doors. Maybe God will lead you into something short-term. Most long-term missionaries today start through short-term. We're seeing a phenomenal in the, a phenomenon in the body of Christ where churches are wanting a high percentage of their whole congregation to go on what they sometimes call a mission trip. Instead of a traditional holiday, they go on a mission trip. Sometimes it's only a couple of weeks. It generally actually costs less than a holiday. And yet they come back knowing they've accomplished something. And I'm not anti-holiday. God will lead you one summer one way, and maybe he'll lead you another summer another way. Why should we Christians, summer after summer, just go to these great Christians' events and just get spiritual food for a whole week, when in fact we haven't put into practice what we heard last year? We need a call to action. In James it says, we need to be doers of the word, not hearers. 
I feel in some ways that one of my problems today is I've a spiritual glutton. I've read so many dynamic messages that I've listened to in the thousands over these many years because I listen on CD and tape. I've read so much of the Word of God, reading, audio, uh, also video. The whole Bible's now on video. I've read so many Christian books, way over a thousand. Haven't finished them all, but some of them almost finished me. Books like A.W. Tozer. I think one of his books is out there on the table. Boy, he's a difficult author, isn't he? And I feel I'm a spiritual glutton. Then I hear of thousands of pastors in the Philippines that have hardly any books, that have no formal training. And they've got a pastor, a congregation. We're seeing major breakthroughs in Algeria. One of our most important ministries, partnering with others. Tens of thousands of Muslim Berbers have come to Jesus. But one of the leaders of that ministry was on the phone with me recently saying, we don't have the leaders. We can't handle this. And some of the church leaders that just got in there by default, he said to me, they're so bad. People just get up and walk out. They just walk out. This guy is saying such stupid things from behind the pulpit. So leadership training is a major thing we're involved in. And thank you for taking this offering tonight, which will be used 100% for the challenge of the Muslim world. We have 800 people among Muslims. We're faced with enormous challenges. Pakistan seems to be spinning out of control if you're following that situation. We have a lot of involvement in Pakistan. We have a lot of people in, uh, in Afghanistan. We're pretty well in every one of those Muslim countries. And with the offering tonight, which will be doubled by a business guy that set up a matching fund for my special project ministry, will be to help us with DVDs, with tools to reach Muslims and the Muslim world with the gospel. What a challenge for those of us that have resources. Some of you may not have resources now. There may be some 10% of all Americans are out of work right now. This is hitting at least some mission agencies very hard right now. And if you do have resources, you have an enormous responsibility as a steward. That's an important ministry. We talked about that this morning. But I just want to get back to this sentence in Isaiah 6. Here am I. Send me. I want to ask you, are you available? Are you available to be more faithful where you already are? And then are you willing and available for a change? It may be a few months. It may be through God's providence. It may be through your own decision. God works in different people in different ways. Beware of putting yourself down. Beware of thinking, I'm not spiritual enough for that. That's just another trick of the enemy. You're God's child. We're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Let's beware as Christians, especially as the media is picking on us in the past few years a little more than normal and the, the atheists are on the move trying to make us all look like some kind of buffoons and idiots. Let's not be intimidated. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We follow the Lord Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father by me. Did you read the story of Anthony Flew, the second, third most famous atheist in Britain? A few years before he died, he confessed, I was wrong. There is a God. He wrote a book about it. It's sold on the newsstands around the world. 
Let's not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. And don't let your doubts intimidate you. Maybe you have some passages in the Old Testament that the way you think it doesn't make sense. Maybe even one of the major doctrines of the church, you just find it a bit of a struggle. Hey, what's new? You know, we're all human beings. No matter how filled we are with the Holy Spirit, we're incredibly human. We aren't subject to doubt. It was a great the- a Scottish theologian that helped me with my doubts. When he said, great faith is not often in the absence of doubt. It's often as we're battling through doubt, focusing on Jesus. I forget the rest of what he said, but it helped me to deal with some pretty fiery darts of doubt that have tried to just wipe me out, especially when I lived in India. And I just close by saying, if God can use a character like me, I haven't had time to go into my 10 weaknesses and five other major weaknesses and struggles. I shared a little bit of that this morning. But I am not a natural Christian. I'm certainly stunned that God could ever use me as a leader. I'm stunned that somehow here I am, 56 years after my conversion in a Billy Graham meeting in New York City, I'm still just as motivated. I've never lost that first love. And I'm wanting to just make whatever whatever days God may give me as in London, I don't know about Ipswich, in London they call guys like me old geezers. Do you have that term here? Anyway, I just don't know how many days this old geezer has, and he's let me have this same wonderful woman, just had celebrated 51 years of marriage. That's a miracle. We were a mismatch. We had struggles in our marriage. You know, I thought she came in from another planet within a few weeks after the wedding, and we were just so different. We couldn't even walk down the street together. I had to wait on the corner giving out tracks as she caught up. And she's, she's a very detailed person. I'm sort of a generalist, messiologist. And uh, one day she looked at me and says, you know, looking at you makes me feel really tired. And those of you who are here this morning, you don't know what a miracle was to get my wife to leave her little house there in, in West Wickham and, and come with me uh, this weekend because she has other ministry that she feels called to very much behind the scenes as the charge of all my data for special projects, over 10,000 names and addresses. And that's where we need detailed people, not guys like me. You don't want me to punch in phone numbers to a computer because when you call the number, <laughs> you don't get the person. Praise God. He can use ordinary people. He can use Downing Thomases. He can use people whose marriages are not like all together. And he wants to use every one of you more than he's using you right now. And so I just pray, let this be a time of refreshing. And I believe it would help some of you as I close to just stand up and pray. Lord, here am I. Send me. Let's pray together. Can we bow our heads and just pray? Can we pray silently for a moment? Search our hearts about anything the Holy Spirit may be convicting us. Any lukewarmness that's creeped in. Any intimidation that's uh, sort of frozen over your spiritual batteries. Any loss of that first love. Can we, like Isaiah, just pray some kind of honest prayer? Confession. Brokenness. Honesty. And let the Lord, let the Lord assure you, you are, you are forgiven. He paid it all. He paid it all. You are his child. He's taking your picture. Just pray silently for a moment.
Here am I, send me. If you'll pray that prayer, I'm not going to call you forward, but if you'll pray that prayer, I'd like you to just stand up, and I want to pray for you. An outward expression of an inward transaction. If some of you prayed that a long time ago, and you want to reaffirm to God, you're still available, and pray that again. You, You can stand as well. But especially those that have never once prayed this, this is your moment of opportunity, a moment of destiny. Little things mean a lot with God. This can help make me even maybe break some kind of logjam that's in your life, hindering you from being a spiritual marathon runner. God bless you. Anyone else? Just pray that prayer. Here am I, send me. And then give me the privilege of praying for you from the platform here. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I wish I could talk an hour with each one of you. But the Holy Spirit will give you unlimited fellowship. And people in your church would be happy to pray. Even tonight, people would be happy to pray with you. Anyone else? God bless you. Some people tell me in some churches, well, we're not accustomed to that in our church. You know, It's good once in a while to have a little change, whether you're accustomed to this or not. Because God's put this on my heart for you. And I've had so many people give me feedback that they were helped by taking this small step, an outward expression of an inward transaction. God bless you. Anyone else? Lord, I pray for these people standing before you right now. I pray as it was in Acts 4 to 31, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, lead some of them into global missions. Lead some of them into short-term missions. Lead others just to realize you've already sent them. You've put them in that particular church, that particular situation, even through providence, and just bless them where they are and enable them to be willing for something new in your timing, not our timing. Fill us afresh, Lord, with your Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Can we all stand? I'd like to pray for everyone. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone gathered here tonight from many different churches. I thank you, Lord, for the tens of thousands of people that follow me in prayer. And we feel the blessing of their prayers tonight. As you've moved in our minds, you've moved in our hearts, and you've enabled us to take some steps of faith. And we'll just give you all the praise and all the honor. I pray your blessing upon every church represented here. Every Christian leader who's here right now. I pray, Lord, for greater things in Ipswich and this surrounding part of England. For we ask in the authoritative, glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.